One thing I want to uh, share, just share very quickly with you, and it's not really on topic, but it kind of is, is we were having um, a meeting as we do on Skype on a Sunday night, and we were talking about just the church growing and uh, what, how God does that. And what I realized for me, we're, we're currently working through and just reading the book together. What I realized for me is I'm very much a, a, a discipling pastor. I my, the way my brain works is, is where is somebody and where can they be and how do we get them there, okay? But what I've realized is that I also need to be a... There's people out there drowning and dying and going to hell. It's not right. That's what we believe, isn't it? They are lost, totally and utterly lost. And they're terrified and they're alone and they don't know what's happening and they don't know what's going on. You're all staring at me blankly. Isn't that, that the truth? And we have found him... And that it's quite amazing and we're not perfect, but this is good stuff and this is good news. Is that right? Well, would you join me in starting to ask him that that heart of going after the people that are lost and need him grows within us? That we grow as a church going, come on in, no matter where you are, who you are, what you're about, what you've done, what you've got on you, who cares? Come on in, Jesus loves you. Okay? So can I, in front of everybody on the podcast and in front of Jesus, will we all agree to do that? I really think that that's something that we, personally for me, that I need to grow in is to learn to go, okay, yes, we've got to understand how we move each other on and be discipled, but also, what about them over there? Because he said, go, and we need to go and extend the hand out. So as Andrew always said, these seats uh, could be filled by who knows, and who knows the person that you call in and throw the lifeline out to may be actually used by God and part of you becoming more whole in who you are and the sheer joy of all that as well, as we've seen already. So let's be about that. Okay, so this morning we're talking about Easter. Yay! The message is titled, A Spear, the Hyssop Plant, and the Forgiveness of Sins. Do you like that? The, a spear, it's a bit like the land of which in the wardrobe. A spear, the hyssop plant, and the forgiveness of sins. So how amazing that we get to do communion together on Easter Sunday, a working model of what it means to uh, apply what Jesus did on the cross and to remember. And the Easter story has many, 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 many things to teach us, hidden behind what we think we know are treasures we need to uncover to discover. So Proverbs 25.2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and to search out a matter is the glory of kings. So really, we're royalty, are we not? Because our father's the king. We are sons and daughters. Do I have to go over all that again? You're accepted, you're secure, and you're significant. Am I right? Yes, we are accepted, secure, and significant. We're sons and daughters of the king, which makes us princes and princesses. And therefore, uh, it is the glory of kings, the glory of royalty to search out whatever God has hidden. It takes time to discover who Jesus is, doesn't it? Really. We think we know and then he reveals something else and we go, oh my goodness. It takes time to understand why he died and what it means about his death. And it takes time to understand what the resurrection means. Jesus yielded to the restriction of becoming a man, yielded to the will of the Father and gave up everything. He died and to be grammatically correct, and horrific death, was humiliated and was resurrected to life. It released him and it releases us. And he's now glorified and has a name above every other name. So yielding to God and restriction always brings liberation and life to those, to you and those that are around you. 
So in any area that God is asking you to uh, yield to something, to stop doing something or to start doing something, the restriction of that, the death to self and all of that means that you're going to find some liberty yourself and some freedom. Has anybody here discovered that as they've taken on a bit more discipline in their lives for Jesus that they just get freer? Would that be your testimony? I mean, it looks at the start like, I don't want to do this. This hurts a whole heap. And then once you're in it and you keep going with it, you start to go, I'm not actually struggling, but I'm not really thinking that way anymore. Matthew 16, 24 to 25, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, part of this about embracing the cross, and I I find this very helpful this morning. I was just thinking about it, and I could see this big, big chunk of wood that was was rough, and you know, it looked like you were going to get splinters in it, and you just, and God's going to pick it up, and you're looking at it going, I can't pick that thing up, pick it up, because we know that if God asks us to do something then, can we do it? Is it beyond us? Do we need to fire through our own understanding and think, well, actually, God, you haven't taken into account the dimensions, the density of the wood. This is hard wood. It's, we're not talking pine here, Jesus. We just go, all right. And what I find, as I saw about the big chunk of wood, is as we pick it up and lift it, actually, it's much more manageable than we thought. On the front end, what he's asking us to do seems impossible. When you're doing it, it's not because you're doing it. So just switch your brain off to that part and grab that thing because that uh, what was an instrument of torture and an instrument of death is designed to bring life to you. The other part of the Easter message is that with God, what appears to be the end is often the beginning. He kills it on our terms to raise it on his. Let me say that again. What, what, with God, what appears to be the end is often the beginning. He kills it on our terms to raise it on his Isaiah 55, 8-9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. The resurrection throws us violently out of the limitations of our world and into a different realm, God's kingdom of possibility. He is alive. Amen, that was good. He is he actually is. Nehemiah 8, 10 to, 10 to 12. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites who were the priests of the day calmed the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been known to them. We've got to experience his joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Luke 24, 5 to 8. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. For far too long the church has mourned his death when that bit is over. He is very much alive, and that is worth celebrating. Can I have an amen to that? He's not hanging on a cross anymore. Yes, communion, we remember what he did. We need to remember what he did. But he is not there anymore. 
So Gareth and Elizabeth, is Elizabeth out with Caleb there? Oh, okay. Well, Gareth and Elizabeth had a baby a few weeks ago. Oh. But they're not enjoying him at all. In fact, they haven't had any time with him because they can't get over the trauma of the birth. Elizabeth hasn't even held Caleb because she keeps reliving the pain. So someone else is enjoying Caleb while Elizabeth spends the rest of her life stuck in the pain of the process she went through. But unfortunately, she's still going through it. Isn't that the story? Why did she go through the labor? Why did she go through the labor? She she had to, but why did she go through the labor? For the joy of of having a son. I've seen her Instagram feed. It's blown up with pictures of her son. Pictures of Garth and my son. My loves, this is me, this is us. This is beautiful. Isn't he gorgeous? Isn't he lovely? I'm not mocking you. He is beautiful. That boy's the son of promise right there. Is that right? So why are we going... Well, all the pain that Jesus had to suffer and it's just horrific and it's terrible and it's awful and it's just the pain he had to suffer and it's horrific and it's terrible and it's awful and all the pain he had to suffer and it's horrific and it's terrible and it's awful and I'm just the sinner and he, he had to go through that because of me and he had to go through it because of me and he's going through it because of me and he's going through it because of me. Please hear me. I know, believe me, I know that there's a time to stare at Jesus on the cross and go, He did that one for me. And as we weep, he smiles and says, it's okay. I'm happy to do that for you. Now don't do it again. But we can't stay there. Too long have we sat in shadows. Too long have we sat in the shadow of the cross when we were meant to live in the light of the resurrection. Do you want to stay at the cross? You want to pitch a tent and stay in the darkness and the pain and that day when the demons that were present just wanted to enjoy every single moment of it, did you? Are you laughing at me because this has gone down on me? I could just preach like this for the rest of the time. Do you want to stay there or do you want to believe that he's alive? Elizabeth didn't go through the pain of childbirth for nothing. She went through it because she's holding the most beautiful little boy and she's gonna get the, you're going to get to raise him. He's a child of promise. Lord only knows what's going to happen with that boy. So let's move on from the cross. Let's never forget it. Do you remember Andrew's message? The cross is light. The cross is happy because he's not there anymore. They killed him once and they're not going to be able to do it again. He is alive. His death released everything we need so that we can become everything we were created to be. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Did that say sometimes? Or did it say all, all the time? His divine power, this is 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is good news. He just needs us to believe that he's not there anymore. He's alive. He died so that. He didn't die just to experience the pain. Yes, he had to go through that. Yes, Elizabeth went through the pain of childbirth. It was part of the process. But we have Caleb now. Jesus is alive and he's present among us. And in saying that, we're going to look at the crucifixion. Okay? We're going to look at the crucifixion in the light of that's not what's happening anymore. Okay? 
He is alive, but we want to look into what he did, pull out some of the gold of that, and be able to apply that to our lives. So this is from John 19, and I've picked out a variety of verses, so if you're following with me, it might jump about a bit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, let's stop for a second. Is that not what the enemy attempts to do with the thorns and the thistles in the soil of our life? Is that not part of what the the comment on the curse was? That because they didn't obey God, that the ground would produce thorns and thistles. And the enemy is still getting the thorns and the thistles out of our lives, twisting them and trying to ram them on our heads. And most of the times we help them get the thorns and the thistles out, twist them together. Jesus suffered that so that you don't have to. So ask him for some revelation about what are the thorns and the thistles that the enemy's trying to push on your head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Heal, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Let's stop again. The enemy will often mock you with the truth as if it were a lie. You're a Christian? Yeah, right. You're going to be free, aren't you? Don't think so. You've tried that before, haven't you? You've forgiven? That's never going to happen. And also then, he'll take lies and try to present them to you as truth. He was the king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. He's above and beyond just the king of the Jews. He's the king over everything. He is the king of all kings. And the enemy slapped him about with the part of the truth of who he actually is. Don't let the enemy tell you what is true in a negative sense. You are forgiven. Think you're forgiven, do you? Absolutely. One walk on. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies been taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one that they've pierced. This is Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain 
and bore our suffering. I love this passage. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. And then this is Psalm 51. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will not turn turn back to you so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are God, my Savior. It's good stuff. It's heavy stuff. But remember, we're doing this in the light of he's not on the cross anymore. I want to talk to you about the untwisting of iniquity. Did you know, I've said this before, I think, that there's a difference between sin and iniquity. Did you know that? Okay, so sin means literally to miss the mark or be, go beyond the boundary lines that God has established. So do this, don't do this. Adam and Eve did the thing they were told not to do, therefore it's sin and they've gone beyond the boundary line that God set or missed the mark. Iniquity is the twisting effect of sin from generation to generation to generation. Okay, so Nathan, if you come and stand here, Mark, would you stand there? And Aaron, if you stand at the back. Now, I should have been more on my game and I thought I had rope in the garage, but we're going to use an imaginary rope, right? So he's holding the rope at the end. I've got it here. Mark's got it there and Aaron's got it there, right? So if you imagine that we start twisting that rope from here, what happens to it in Mark's hands? Starts to twist, right? And what happens down at your end? Okay, so can you stop it to twist? Can you try? Right, but you, you really can't do it. What would have to happen to stop the rope from twisting? I'd have to stop. Or? Don't do Or you cut him off, right? Or we get to him and we change what's happening. You've got to understand that the sin that is iniquity, right? So sin is sin, missing the mark and uh, stepping beyond the boundary of limitation, right? Iniquity is the effect of that sin. So when I sin, it affects Claire and it affects my family, okay? Affects you, affects everybody here, just affects everybody. No man's an island, affects everyone. So as that sin happens, it turns into iniquity when it becomes a twisting effect. That twisting has momentum. So that momentum is present within you. So the sins of your fathers, that's why God said that the sins of the fathers go on in the generations because it gathers momentum. You'll often see it in families that there's, well, they were like that and they were like that and they were like that. Yeah? So Jesus died to untwist the iniquity that is present in our lives. So it's not just that we stop sinning, it's that the effects of the sin from generations before are untwisted. 
So what we have to do is we've got to get, so we're all just men. We've sinned and there's iniquity there. So we need Jesus to come and either go stop that or Jesus gets a hold of the rope and he starts to untwist it. So the rope then gathers momentum of blessing. So rather than it being a highway to hell, it becomes a highway to blessing. That's why the blessings that we have, our children are going to have. Isaac will not struggle with some of the things that I have struggled with because I killed it because I yielded myself to Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So what Jesus did, you guys can sit down. Thank you for pretending to hold an imaginary rope. It's ridiculous. But did it kind of work? Did you get it? So what Jesus came to do is not only stop you from sinning, but to untwist the effect of iniquity that has happened to you and you didn't do it. It's not your fault. But it has happened to you and it is present within you. Does that sound like good news? I want to live my life free of sin, but even more so, I want to live my life free of the iniquity that has happened and shut down my family line. And we can, in Jesus' name, go, stops now. Do you want to decide that? Well, let's decide it. Stops now. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in here, right here and right now. And we ask you to show us the rope that is in our hands. And in Jesus' name, we apply the cross to that rope. And we speak to the momentum of iniquity and say, no, the price has been paid and it stops now in Jesus' name. And we, as sons and daughters of the King, command a blessing. We ask that you would forgive us for what we have done but we lay hold of what you have done and apply the reversal. Let's talk about the hyssop plant. The hyssop plant pops up all over scripture. It's used frequently in the Bible in regard to cleansing, healing, purification, and protection. God in Leviticus 14, 1-7, God tells the priests to use hyssop together with cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and the blood of a clean bird, of all things, to sprinkle a person recently healed from a skin disease. And that act would ceremonially cleanse the formerly diseased person, allowing him to re-enter the camp. In Exodus 12, 22, hyssop um, was used by the Israelites. The brush part of the plant was used by the Israelites to apply the blood of the lamb on the lentils of the doorpost, which meant that the angel of death passed by. So God instructed them to use that, and it's likely he told them to use that because it's strong enough to yield to the brushing effect. Now, there's other plants, sad but true, I would know these things. There are other plants that look like they would be a good paintbrush, but they just couldn't withstand the pressure and the, the friction of, of doing that. Then Psalm 51, as we've just read, David said, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He's appealing to God, please purify me. He wrote that as he was confronted by Nathan the prophet who nailed him about the fact that he just had an affair with Bathsheba and committed adultery. And then hyssop also appears at Jesus' crucifixion when the Roman soldiers offered Jesus a drink of wine vinegar on a sponge at the end of a stalk of hyssop. That's John 19, 28 to 30. And likely they used it because it was long enough to reach Jesus' mouth as he hung on the cross. Now why do I tell you this? Jesus Christ is the hyssop plant. 
By him we're cleansed. By him we're purified. By him we're protected. By him we're allowed to re-enter. He's strong enough to withstand the brushing force of death and his reach is long enough to bring us refreshment. He is the hyssop plant. As you look through the Bible, God's not on the surface of things. He is, but he's not as well. The hyssop plant, he is the one. Let me read it again. By him we're cleansed. By him we're purified. By him we're protected. By him we're allowed to re-enter. He is strong enough to withstand the brushing force of death and his reach is long enough to bring us refreshment. By his wounds we're healed and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. You're clean. He's long enough to reach you. There's no force within you that can withstand or cause him to yield to what you want to do. He is greater than we are. He's greater than the enemy. Anna was asking that. We were reading about the the Lord's Prayer last night and it came to the part about um, protect us from the evil one. And she said, oh, daddy, is there an evil one? I said, there is. She got really fearful. And then he went, look, it's like this. He said, this is the evil one here. I said, this is Jesus. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus can get this done. And the third thing I want to say about this is the pierce in his side that produced the flow of blood and water. This is John 19, 31 to 35. Now it was a day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came, broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may believe. Then this is 1 John 5, 1 to 13. I'm going to unpack this in a second. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is, um, is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands aren't burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Great news. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life. Not in the sweet by and by when we die, but right here and right now. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Write these things we are 
We write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me read. Have you all heard of Charles Spurgeon? Famous preacher. Um, this, I think he gave this in the late um, 19th century. This is what he said about this passage. I thought this was brilliant. By the terms water and blood, we understand the purifying and pardoning effects of Christ's work for his people. He came to purify them from the power of sin that they might no longer live in it. This is indicated by the declaration that he came by water. He also came to put away the guilt of their sin that they might not be condemned for it. This is set forth by the intimation that he also came by blood. We might say that all the Lord's prophets who came before Christ in a certain sense came by water. That is to say that they all sought the purification of the Lord's people, whether it was Isaiah, whose lips had been touched with the live coal from the altar, or Jeremiah, whose eyes were fountains of tears as he wept over sinners, or Amos, who spoke as a herdsman, or Ezekiel, whose message was one of grandeur and sublimity. The objective of every one of them was to purge the people from their sins. It was against sin that they all lifted up their voices. Yet none of them could pardon sin, and no one of them ever professed to be able to do so. Of the whole of them, it must be said that they came by water only and not by blood. But Jesus came by blood. And John one twenty nine, John said to Jesus when he saw him walk by, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The soldier pierced his side. And it brought a sudden flow of blood and water. In the Passion of the Christ, have you all seen it? Most of you seen it? There's the part where the soldier, uh, they pierce Jesus in his side and the blood and the water literally goes all over his face. It is grotesque. It really is. Um, but it's reality. It's a bit like we were watching Father of the Bride Part 2 and they show the labor scene and the, both of the mothers are expecting and the labor scene's like this. Oh! <laughs> It's not like, is that what labor's like, Elizabeth, and any other mother in this place? No. This is messy stuff, but it gets it done. There was a sudden flow of blood and water. Jesus didn't die in Hollywood. He died in reality. It was horrific. It was messy. It was agony. It was heartbreaking. And I would say it was absolutely terrifying to watch. But it was necessary. And it was the most profound expression of love that this world will ever see. And it brought about a sudden and eternal flow of cleansing and forgiveness. So in Jesus' name, let there be a sudden flow this morning. You are cleansed from your sin. And the guilt of your sin is taken away because it is taken away. So let him take it away. If you are sitting here this morning and you're continually poked and prodded with the sins that you have committed by the guilt of what you have done and you feel just gross and just feel unworthy and just feel like you're never going to hit the mark. Well, in Jesus' name, there is a sudden flow of blood and water here this morning. They crucified him once. They cannot crucify him again. And the enemy wants to crucify every single one of us. He missed that. He had Jesus crucified and he will have you believe that you need to die for your sins as well. He will demand payment again and again and again by each one of you, by every one of us for the wrong that we have done. He wants blood and we can give it to him. And it's not ours, it belongs to Jesus Christ. So don't let him do it. The blood that was given was enough. 
And where was Jesus pierced? In his side. Where was woman taken from? And woman is the bride of Adam. And we are the bride of... That was very quiet. He was pierced in a particular place because that is the particular place where his people can receive the blood and the water as it flows. This is Ephesians uh, 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And this is Genesis 2, 21 to 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned uh, the rib into a woman which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Destination Church Belfast. Jesus Christ died so that we would be clean, radiant and without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. Can I get you guys up, Nathan? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the old measure of Jesus Christ. That is our inheritance. That's our destination. That destination is Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, he is alive. Would you stand with me, please? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence among us this morning. And we ask you that we would have done business with you this morning, that we would begin to see the untwisting effects of iniquity, that we would find freedom and liberty with stuff that we've struggled with and we don't know why we've struggled with it. I know that there are many of us here who there are things that you're going, why do I do that? You do it because there's a momentum of sin that's been present in your life. Well, that stops today. So as always, we have some questions to help you to respond. So are you done with trying to be good enough and to win God's forgiveness? Do you want to get rid of the guilt and condemnation that you carry for the things that you've done wrong? And do you want to grow to maturity and celebrate that Jesus is alive? If you can answer yes or you just want ministry, please come and join me now at the front. Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We ask that as a church, we would be a people who apply what you've done. That we would mature to become a people who ask, okay, what do I need to do because he's already done it? So come, Holy Spirit, this is your church. And it's the day that we celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive that he's not hanging on a cross anymore, nor is he down in hell demanding the keys of death. He is alive. He sits beside the right hand of God and you, Holy Spirit, are in the earth 
and you're present in your church. So we ask that you would come and fill your church and fill your people. Come, Lord.